Hello and welcome. Is your business your mission and your mission your business? If yes, you found your tribe. Whether you feel like it or not, you are avant-garde, going your own way, making your own path, doing it like no one has done before. And the answers to the challenges you're facing aren't in a book. My friend, you are not alone. This is the Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Bailey, a mission-minded serial entrepreneur and traveler. My purpose on this earth is to use my authenticity and passion to equip and empower social entrepreneurs to live in their highest calling, feeling freedom, fulfillment, and security, and inspiring others to do the same. Join me for stories, tips, and tricks for taking avant-garde inspired action in your business so that you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. I believe it doesn't have to be hard to be right. Welcome to episode 39 of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur. I am so glad that you're here today with me, my friend. Today, I'm introducing you to a very special friend, mentor, and cheerleader in my life and someone I dream of collaborating with in the future, Dr. Jim King. I actually referenced Dr. King way back in episode nine when I talked about where to find coaches. One place is at conferences, either online or in person. And you know, there are often, whenever you sign up for conferences, there are often different tracks. There might be a practitioner track, an academic track, a sponsor track. I encourage you to maybe follow the academic track for a few sessions the next time you sign up for a conference. This is where you'll find the professors. My friend, professors are keepers of the keys. They see it all. They have access to tools and resources that you can't imagine. Most of all, they have incredible hearts and compassion for you. Trust me, teachers, no matter how many letters they have behind their names, they do not teach for the money. They teach for the love of you. I've been honored to guest teach a few times with Dr. King's classes at the University of Mary Hardin-Baylor in the state of Texas in the United States. And I can tell you that his students esteem and adore him. And it's easy to do. And you're going to find out why. Dr. King has believed in me and encouraged me on days when I didn't believe in myself, before Avant-Garde Entrepreneur was birthed and certainly before it was named. And Dr. King hasn't just learned about you as social entrepreneurs and Avant-Garde Entrepreneurs. He basically is you. He is a walking genius and expert on microenterprise development, cultural impacts on business, and using IT to facilitate change for good. He's been a professor for 30 years, 30 years. He's been seeing what's coming down the pike for three decades. For my avant-garde entrepreneur friends in your 20s, he's not only sensed and seen the opportunities for your future, but had a hand in creating them. How incredible is that? And how incredibly blessed are we to get to learn from someone with so much wisdom? Dr. King's had long tenures as a chairperson, director, and the dean at the University of Mary Hardin-Baylor and is currently the director of Master of Science and Information Systems Program. And there's a good chance that Dr. King has visited your country. He's taken over 30 student groups all around the world, Thailand, Morocco, Spain, Peru, China, just to name a few. 
Further, he's supervised micro, small, and medium mission-focused entrepreneurs using business to help people lift themselves to a better way of life. He specializes in guiding social impact and missional opportunities in community and economic development, creating education and healthcare systems, as well as addressing acute hunger and poverty, just like what you are likely doing. In addition to all his responsibilities as a professor and a director, he's on the International Committee for World Hunger Relief and a founding member of the Preemptive Love Coalition. Perhaps his most crowning achievement to date is the founding of Change University. Change U is an online portal designed to unite and rally university and college-age students from all over the world to tackle complex issues. These wicked problems of homelessness, food insecurity, accessible healthcare, education, and economic development. And he's done all of this in spite of, and possibly because of, tremendous personal challenge and tragedy that he's possibly still overcoming. He knows a thing or two about perseverance and discipline, even when it feels like nothing is happening. I met Dr. King back in, let's see, September 2019 at the Business's Mission Conference in California. I was still in school. I had passed my comprehensive exam and was just starting on the dissertation sequence of my program. As you know, going to big group events is not my thing, but I wanted to meet people, hear what was happening, and learn what the needs of Michelle entrepreneurs were, so I went. Though I had much more experience in the business or maybe the sponsors track, I signed up for the academic track, and that's how I met Dr. King, and that was that. He introduced me to all the other professors and researchers, as well as many of the missional entrepreneurs and coaches. He made the connection for my research to be published in the Business's Mission Repository. He's given feedback on my website and encouraged and supported me all the way through the launch of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Academy in August 2022. I can say for certain that if it weren't for seeking the advice and guidance of the academics at the Business as Mission Conference, I would not be here today helping you. And Dr. King is the root. So for Dr. King, I've given a little longer intro than normal because number one, he's accomplished way too much to cover in a short podcast. And number two, he's way too humble to talk about himself. You're going to learn a lot today, my friend. So get ready. Dr. King, thank you so much for being here. Trisha, thank you so much. You don't know what an honor it is to to get to sit here with you. Oh, thank you. So Um, honored for you to be here. I'm more than humbled by your introduction. Well, Dr. King, tell us about yourself. Fill in, I've, I spouted off some <laughs> of the statistical part. Fill in the color of your life. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to university? Some of that kind of good stuff. Well, it probably won't take very long. No matter how fast or slow I talk, I talk like a Texan. <laughs> so, so I was born and raised in Central Texas and uh, still live close to where I grew up, actually. And so um, pretty much Texan all the way in terms of upbringing. And I got my bachelor's and master's degree at Baylor University in Waco, which is where I still live. I began my teaching career at Baylor, actually as a graduate assistant while still getting my master's. And so then I went to the University of Texas at Arlington to get my Ph.D., and 
growth-wise, uh, it was more than just an education in information technology, which was my dissertation field, but it was it was also working with uh, individuals that were into research and were into community service and were into uh, leading within their academic disciplines. And so the education world is more than just the education world, more than just the academic content. And I think I, I grew to appreciate that more the, the longer I was in school. Mm-hmm. Well, pretty much all of us attend school. Thankfully, most of us at this point are able to. Many of us attend university and some of us teach formal or informal education, but few ever teach at a university. Give us a glimpse into a day in the life or maybe I'm sure that every day is different, but some of the things that you do as a university professor and your role within leadership that are the things that students don't know about. I would say that the average person probably goes, what the heck does a professor do with all that extra time that they have when they're not in the classroom? (laughs) I assure you there is no shortage of things to get to do. And the longer I'm doing it, the less time there is apparently to do it. But, uh, you know, the, the classroom can't be beat in my, my view. And I mean, the real classroom. So much is moved to virtual that uh, we can't ignore it, but there's nothing like uh, being in a classroom with uh, students and engaging with students and seeing things come to to light, so to speak, for some of them early, for some of them later, for some, you just wonder if ever, but uh, <laughs> that's the fun. The fun part is being in the classroom, but you know, we have an expectation as students to spend anywhere from two to three hours a week outside the classroom for every hour they're in the classroom. And we tell them that, but it's no less for us as the professors, just in the preparation and the assessing of submissions, we have the same expectations and they should have the same expectations of us. And then on top of that, we have not only our, our unit area responsibilities, but our college responsibilities and committees, but also university committees. And those are important. Uh, you know, I just rotated off the, you know, tenure uh, and promotion committee. And I that's, believe that's an important one. Wow. Yeah, I, I believe there is no more important role uh, for an academic uh, in a university because you are in essence judging the future lives of anybody that comes before you. And so there's a lot of deliberation. There's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of study. So, so committee work takes a lot of time as a director of a program. My, my program is approximately 90% international student. Mm-hmm. And with the international students, uh, there's so much overhead associated with admissions and getting them, you know, through all the state department requirements that there are. And we have, long, long lead times on admissions because they have to have an admission before they can even interview for a visa. And so it's a, the, the overhead is, is pretty extensive. Uh, I think, uh, if you were to visit with my family that I saw very little of, uh, this summer, which is usually a pretty good time to kind of catch up and recharge, the responses would not be real positive, uh, mm-hmm. because it's been a, it has been a really, really busy time. Coming out of COVID, 
again, being a program that's over 90% international, mm-hmm. COVID was a, a real challenge. And we, I believe we came through with really good results, but, but you have to keep pushing. And, um, we have a great staff, you know, great faculty, but I would say the thing that most people don't really understand is that what most people would call overhead really takes on the, the lion's percentage of a faculty member's time, especially if they have administrative responsibilities. So the time in the classroom is just a tiny, relatively small amount of your responsibility and your energy uh, yeah. and your effort. I know you're going to ask the question along the way, but I'm going to go ahead and mention, you know, probably walking into the classroom itself mm-hmm. and being with the students themselves is probably where I get my greatest energy and yeah. the, the best recharging of why I do what I do, because I promise sitting in committee meetings is not where I get charged up. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So people probably have a different perception of teacher uh, professors as far as that they they see the time in the classroom, but you probably have just as much time in committees and in meetings as anyone in the corporate world, if not more. I would say ditto. Yeah. 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 Lots of bureaucracy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nothing like (laughs) academic bureaucracy, I promise. (laughs) That's worse than government bureaucracy. (laughs) It's a a good good competition, I'm betting. (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's really helpful for people to understand, especially because we have some of the listeners are in school to understand that the client, the the teacher facing part is just that they see that there's this whole world that goes on behind the scenes that they have no idea the energy that it takes for professors to do what they do. I think it's not different than someone working in the, the corporate world in that there are reasons we do what we do and there are prices to pay. Mm-hmm. to be able to do what we do for those reasons. Mm-hmm. And if it was just for the overhead, I'd have been gone a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, the gifts in return, the faces and the, the bodies in the classrooms far compensate for yeah. that cost. Amazing. This episode is brought to you by Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Foundations, where you can go from contemplation to clarity in just six weeks. How incredible does that sound? By learning to tap into the superpower of your spirit, you'll feel refreshed in your mind, certain of your mission, and inspired in your business. Go to trishabaileyphd.com forward slash A-G-E-F dash waitlist for more details. You can also find the link here in the show notes. One of the reasons why, well, another reason why I was really excited to have you on this show was <laughs> you have not only had, you know, seen the history of impact business and social entrepreneurship and missional business, but you've really seen the evolution and I believe had a part in getting it where it is because you're the one that's working with the students who are now missional entrepreneurs. Can you give us an idea of what social enterprise or business's mission was like when you started at the university or when you were first introduced to it and you know how it's evolved from there? I think so. It's kind of weird in that I probably really didn't get exposed 
until around the year 2000. And I had traveled globally, but probably more as a tourist uh, than a researcher and a watcher, um, which is my favorite part is being a watcher. And I can remember pre-2000 that there was a night at church, at church. It, It was about business, but it was at church. And I remember our church had brought on uh, some missionaries that it had led in Eastern Europe. And they actually were professional lawyer and business person. Mm -hmm. And I mean, since I was eight years old, everything I'd ever heard about missionaries was, I would consider it coming out of Christian studies or something like that, you know, that, uh, they weren't real people. They were like set apart from everybody else. And, and our church brought these folks on and they led the church in what I would call a, a renewal of our vision of what it really means to, to touch the world. And that is through however we're built, however we're gifted, whatever we were built to actually have an impact in. And so when I became dean of the College of Business in 2000, one of my very first things was to establish a study abroad program here so I could take kids abroad so they could see not just the the, the plight of individuals in very different places from them, but actually to apply the skill sets they were developing here in the university and maybe in part-time jobs in those other environments and to help, I will use the word consult very carefully, but counsel uh, individuals because honest to goodness, while there may be something written pre-2000 about social enterprise, in reality, if we think about the doing good stuff, whether it be faith-related or not faith-related, most of that was coming out of NGOs, not-for-profits. And I am very pro-NGO, very pro-not-for-profit, as long as they're run from a sustainable business perspective. But I, they were hard to find around 2000. And that's on either side, faith-based or not faith-based. And so I started studying and and looking and finding people that talked this other way, that were using their professional skill sets to make a difference in the world while running sustainable businesses. And so for me, that's actually where all three of the the, the terms you use actually rest is in running sustainable for-profit businesses while having strategy to do good through, with, alongside of the for-profit business. And I teach lots of different business models related to that. So it's not that there's only one way to do it, but it is a very different perspective than we saw in pre-2000, I think. And so so I, I think that that's probably been the biggest shift. And what I have seen is it has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, they're, they're actually, for example, we hear all kinds of terms. Uh, I think that one of the, the most current terms is ESG mm-hmm. for the kinds of ways to do good. We know the United Nations has the uh, SDGs and forever we've heard of CSR, mm-hmm. but 
it, it's all related to doing good, doing good for others, doing good for the environment, doing good for the community. And so I, I think that one of the most famous business models ever was for, from a professor from Harvard named Michael Porter. And it was his value chain model through value chain analysis. And even Porter back in 2006 advocated for having strategy within the organization for doing good. I'm not going to bore all the listeners with all the words he used, but it was basically it had switched from just market value to value mm-hmm. where the doing good aspect was part of how you value the organization so that you can develop strategies to help do good through your organization while you're also doing well as a business financially. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think around the year 2000, we saw a pivot. And when, mm-hmm. when you see somebody like a Michael Porter writing along these same terms, you didn't call it social enterprise or anything like that, but that's really where we started seeing it becoming more acceptable mm-hmm. that doing good is really a part of doing well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that you frame it that way. I was speaking to someone a few months ago and it was, why do we even have to separate social enterprise or missional businesses? Why can't they just, why do we have to be a subsect? Why can't everyone just basically have sustainable businesses that are designed for good? (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it's interesting. You're getting no argument. Yeah. Yeah, moving that way. Let's let's just hope we keep moving that way. I believe we are. Yes, ma'am. And I don't know the age of all of the listeners, Mm -hmm. but I I know the age that I work with Mm -hmm. every day, whether it be bachelor's or master's level students. Mm -hmm. And I go, I I actually teach any this semester. I'll teach anywhere from freshman to capstone master's students in the same semester. And I promise you. That's the kind of world they want to live in. It's the kind of world they want to work in. It's the kind of world they want to be productive in. It's the kind of world they want to make a difference in. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the, if we look at where social business or impact business is today, and we look at, you know, back from like 2000 to 2006 when Michael Porter introduced just the concept, what would you say are some of the trends you're seeing today that maybe started, you know, within the past year or so, obviously COVID can't hardly have a conversation without that, <laughs> that coming up. But what would you say are some of the trends that are, that you see for going for the near future? I think that probably, I'll tell you the biggest difference in just a second, but why I think the answer I'm going to give you is the right answer is because I think historically What has validated a concept is accepted, well-read books on a topic Mm -hmm. because they don't sell Mm -hmm. if it isn't intriguing, at least, and they don't keep selling unless they mean something. Mm -hmm. So I think that I had mentioned a book to you by an author named Morgan Simon, Mm -hmm. and her book is called Real Impact. And in my view, it's at least the best, if not only, the book that helps us understand investing in impact enterprises 
is a viable portfolio strategy mm-hmm. and how to mm-hmm. do it. And I think that is probably the most important trend that is going to impact how well our enterprises that want to have impact, how well they will succeed or not succeed because two things will make the difference. You got to have the financing to get it started and keep it going. But the second thing is you have to have people that can run it Mm -hmm. as well. And she's very clear in her book that the people aspect of it are an important part in evaluating the investment strategy, just like any other investment you're going to have. You know, it can't just be a great idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has to be something that the people involved can actually pull off and Mm -hmm. in a sustainable fashion. So, Mm -hmm. so I, I think that this idea that these kinds of enterprises are investment opportunities is my summary statement as Mm -hmm. to what, what a really major change trend has become. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to a finance person here. Yeah. I know that. Okay. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not that person. <laughs> well, no, I, I appreciate you saying that because, and I won't say get into too much detail, but in the finance world, we typically have, you know, the traditional stocks and bonds and that kind of thing. And later in the year on the podcast, I'm going to, have two guests, each of which focus on taking the the what we would call the modern investing principles and you know the things that you hear in the US stock market and all that stuff. And they are investing in social enterprises and impact businesses. So I appreciate I'm gonna put a link to that book as well as any okay. others that you mentioned, Michael Porter okay. book in the show notes for people to read. But I really appreciate you sharing that. And I hope that this encourages the listeners because we talk a lot about, you know, building sustainable social enterprises that go on beyond the person, beyond the leader, and the importance of having things in place because one of the challenges is that most social missional entrepreneurs, they think they're going to do it forever. Because they love it. They're doing it because of their heart. Well, you don't know when things are going to happen. You know, your higher power may have a different plan for you. And there might be health complications or family. And so I I hope this is an encouragement to the listeners to that there are people who are looking to invest. And it's important to build your social enterprise, your impact business, like a real business. Have all the things in place. And there are investment funds out there. Yeah, uh, both on the faith side. I mean, there are investment funds for impact in what we call businesses mission mm-hmm. that are all, still looking for return mm-hmm. on that investment. It's just like what we would call a traditional investment fund, but it has an extra way of, of evaluating value. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the non-faith based side, though. If you just, if I never try and separate faith and social enterprise or faith and impact enterprise. It's where you place the value, how you evaluate value. But even if it's a non-faith-based enterprise, there are investment funds that are strictly for impact enterprises, but there are also the traditional investment funds that have opportunities in impact enterprises as well mm-hmm. because they want to to have a little bit more variety for their investors because not everybody's looking for the same portfolio. And mm-hmm. the same kind of returns. So, mm-hmm. 
And they know they're going to miss out on that market if they don't have those opportunities. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, they're in business too. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and it, it's, it's always about market. And yeah. whether you're faith-based or not faith-based or both, it's, you have to be smart. Yeah. And, and I'm like, again, I'm, I'm talking to a finance person. So I, I yeah. No, you're talking to the listeners who might not be. So yes, this is okay. super important. And I don't talk okay. about finance usually. So <laughs> you should, you should, do, you should host yourself because I know, I know what you can say. So, but I'm excited to watch the podcast you just mentioned also because yeah. it is, it has become to me, that's the number one change in trajectory mm-hmm. for all of these types of enterprises. Such incredible insight from Dr. Jim King. With over 30 years as a professor, he's lived on the leading edge of impact, social, and missional business. Essentially, he's believed in and taught about the model of sustainable for-profit businesses that do good for others before it was even a thing, before there were even the labels we put on the concept today. He knows the trends and what it takes to succeed as an impact entrepreneur, and he's got a lot more to share. So I'm pushing pause on our interview with Dr. Jim King, and we'll pick back up in episode 40. Stay tuned. I'm so excited for you to learn more from Dr. King without even sitting in his classroom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Avant Garde Entrepreneur. I hope you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. If you enjoyed what you heard, share it with a friend. If you haven't already, Subscribe, rate, and review it here on your podcast player. Questions, comments, or feedback? Connect with me directly at trishabaileyphd.com or on social at trishabaileyphd. Now, you go and get back to making the world a better place. I'll see you back here soon.